Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of our Ropes and Gray Tech Studio podcast series. I am very pleased to say that in this edition, I'm here with my uh, partner and good friend, Marco Sotelny, M&A lawyer, uh, tech M&A lawyer, avid cyclist. Marco, it is great to be here with you. Thanks, Ed. I'm happy to be here with you. Now, we're going to spend a little time talking about what you do in tech and how you do it in tech. But before we get there, could you just just give us give us the short bio? So I'm in our Boston office, and I live in a small town that's a suburb of Boston that nobody has heard of. It, it's a uh, it likes to refer to itself as horse country. And whenever I tell people I live in Dover, they think of Dover's of every other state and country other than Massachusetts. But that's where I live. I spend a lot of time in our New York office. I find myself there right now and find myself here at least a couple times a month for a few days. And then in the winter, I always find reasons to spend time in our San Francisco office. You're not just an M&A attorney yourself, I think inside ropes, you're the head of our strategic transactions group. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. And our strategic transactions group is a group of lawyers uh, across a number of different specialties that focus on companies, operating companies, and instead of compared to like private equity funds or other funds, that's sort of how we distinguish ourselves in that group. All right. So I know you have that administrative function as a leader at the firm, but now your practice itself, I have this impression that it's pretty much M&A all the time, but I may be wrong there. What's the quick characterization of your practice? I like to think of it as M&A most of the time, not quite all of the time. And when I think about M&A, I think about a lot of different kinds of M&A transactions. And Mm -hmm. when they get a little bit crazy, then they get a little bit more fun. Um, So that's that's most of what I do. I also do help companies on governance and disclosure issues because a lot of what I do on the public company M&A side is also relevant for companies who are just public and have to Uh, decide what the best thing to do is on a Delaware governance question or an SEC rule or disclosure question. So that's also part of my practice, but M&A is my sweet spot. Let's turn specifically to tech. You know, I don't want to ask the question in a legal way, like what laws do you apply or stuff. Let's just talk about the people. So who who are the types of clients in tech where you solve their problems, you make them happy through M&A? They tend to be public companies for the most part. That's where I spend most of my time. And so I, you know, a good example of it, and you know, me working with a client is a public company CEO or head of business development along with their legal team. And their legal team is a, uh, you know, general counsel or head of M&A. And they they start to call me when it's time to think about how they might want to structure a deal or how they might want to join a process or start a process. And we roll up our sleeves and see what we can do and get at it. Are there clients you can mention or industries that you think, you know, you have the most experience in? Yeah. Yeah. My, my experience is in, 
semiconductors. I work with a handful of semiconductor companies. Macom Technology is perhaps the most active among those. Uh, I also work with a company called Teradyne, and they uh, they actually make testing equipment for semiconductors. So they're adjacent to semiconductors in that regard, but they are also moving a lot into robotics and industrial robotics. And so that's a fusion of uh, software and, you know, things like, uh, you know, carts that move boxes around in warehouses. So they, uh, you know, they're doing some interesting things in the robotics space. Now, if you look at those clients, are there things you can uh, point to where you would say, uh, you know, with this is an example of what I do. Don't need the comprehensive list of everything you do. But what's an example of the, the kinds of problems that come up, the kinds of issues that you solve for as you carry out these deals? I did a deal for a tech company last year where the problem that we were solving for was the client had to acquire technology. It was a bolt-on acquisition that where they were adding an important piece of technology to their product line. The problem was that it was an expensive transaction and the company still had a long lead time to bring that product to the market. So it was going to be a heavy research and development phase. And my client did not want to pay for it uh, through their earnings, through their balance sheet. Uh, you know, as most people know, public companies pay close attention to their quarterly earnings and taking on an investment project of that size and the potential drain that it would have on earnings was a consideration that almost made the deal not palatable. And so we had to come up with a structure. And so the internal team at the client and I put our heads together and we came up with a joint venture structure and we found a private equity firm who was willing to be our financial backer. And we basically agreed that the joint venture would be controlled by the private equity fund. And that that would be the operating entity for a period of up to two or three years. Mm -hmm. From there, our client pre-wired a purchase option from the joint venture at a Mm -hmm return that paid the private equity firm handsomely for its management of the operations of that company and the development of that product. And when the product uh, met met certain milestones, our client was obligated to purchase that uh, technology from the private equity firm and pay them for that return. And uh, everybody wins. And so, you know, not your typical M&A transaction, but one in which uh, everybody got a piece of uh, what they were looking for, bringing in that private equity. You know, what a, what an interesting structure. I, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of a crazy hybrid of uh, equity debt, structured governance, and what I imagine is a pretty complex straight ahead technology agreement about who's going to do the R&D and what the milestones are. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it, it's, uh, it has a, it's kind of a greatest hits album. <laughs> got everything all at once. Uh, yeah, maybe that's what the closing binder should be called. The greatest. <laughs> that's it. Uh, wow. Well, uh, I mean, that's super interesting. You know, one of the things that has come up over and over again, at least in terms of the popular press, is this uh, chilling environment globally especially between the U.S. and Asia. And, you know, if I go back 10, 
15, 20 years, people were flying into Asia with tech deals, assumed to be the world's largest consumer market in China, uh, globalism assumed as a permanent feature of the economy. But at a minimum, things aren't quite as enthusiastic as they were. Do you, do you see that affecting M&A deals? And, and if so, how has this, this turned up in your practice? Yeah, I see it in M&A deals, and it's certainly affecting how tech companies are evaluating opportunities and deciding how they're going to exist in this new environment. The, the first mm. thing that, you're, that, you, that I see is yeah. there's very different ambitions on the part of semiconductor companies, uh, for example. And you know, we're, I, I deal with this with our semiconductor clients, where the regulatory and geopolitical environment applicable to them is, makes it extremely difficult to do any deal with the China component, even in what we would otherwise have considered a number of years ago to be fairly straightforward and uninteresting uh, technology from a national defense or other uh, perspective. And so it doesn't even matter uh, how, uh, how, those, how the products relate to what used to be the classic hot button issues like national defense. Uh, now, it's just if you're doing a semiconductor deal and there's an Asian component to it, then mm. you have to worry about whether you're going to get regulatory scrutiny from antitrust regulators, from CFIUS regulators, from export control regulators. from. Well, and, and have, you had, have you had deals where that popped up? Have you had to pro- solve problems for a client who, who had those issues turn up in a deal? Yes. Yes. In fact, um, we we did a deal where we had to decide what level of risk we were going to take there. And so the client was very interested in making inroads into the 5G uh, network growth. And they had to decide how they were going to do that. And so what they figured out was it, 5G, in their estimation, was going to start in China. That was going to be the initial green shoots of 5G, and it was going to grow from there. They believed that the way to get the market generally was to be there when China figured out the best way to deploy 5G. And they thought that they had the right technology to do that. And the problem, obviously, was bringing new technology from a U.S. company into China. And so we had to decide, like, what are are we going to try to do this? And if so, how are we going to manage the regulatory and other risks that come with it? And it turned out that we pulled something together. We, we pulled together a transaction that actually allowed uh, this company to bring technology or license its technology into a, an entity sitting in Hong Kong that could lead the deployment of 5G in China. I, I will say that in that deal, what we were trying to do was something where we weren't certain what, how the regulators would respond. And so part of the job there was advising the client that we've got a regulatory strategy and it was a well thought out regulatory strategy, but ultimately one that we couldn't guarantee would succeed. And so it was up to us to help the client decide on that risk. Would we go through the process of negotiating this transaction 
mm-hmm. in a way where we knew that it could be unwound because you can never predict with you know absolute certainty how how regulators are going to respond and in particular where it's it's a hot button issue like that so yeah. really fun deal in figuring out how to pull that together and how we would convince regulators to to approve that kind of transaction and see the value in it and we got all the way to signing and the regulators swooped in and uh you know ultimately their views were at least as aggressive as we predicted and we had to um we had to walk away from the deal but that was uh that was that was exactly what the client wanted it wanted to take a run and see if it could do that it felt like it was that important and when we when we got to the end um we didn't get to the finish line, but they, they understood that risk and we helped them manage it in the best way possible. All right. Well, I've got one more, I've got one more question touching on M&A and then we're going to shift gears a little bit to some of the more fun questions. But the, the one other question I have deals with this concept of market reset. You know, we've all been around for the past few years where sure there's a pandemic, but it's like the pandemic actually boosted the economy somehow. M&A activity through the roof, uh, you know, SPACs, uh, just pulling money out of the public market with, you know, we'll, we'll find out how to spend it later. Uh, and then, uh, then we went through kind of a reset, uh, a, a market reset, evaluation reset. And uh, we've seen a lot of activity across public companies and public markets drop off. Mm-hmm. How has the reset affected you know, M&A in your experience for tech companies, do you, do you see it? Are people still talking about deals? Uh, how how do you see it affecting day-to-day life? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Ed. What's really happening in, in terms of what I see falls into two buckets. There were a number of clients who really focused during the pandemic, uh, even before and after the pandemic, on being as busy as possible in the M&A space. They saw opportunities. They, you know, rushed into those flurries of that flurry of deals, and were very successful in acquiring a lot of technology. When things started to slow down, um, it's almost like that that caused them to pause and think for you know, think at a higher level um, than they had been for a couple of years. And they realized we've got a lot of integration work to do. And they pushed the pause button on M&A, either slowing it down or stopping it altogether while they focused on integration. Uh, What I think is interesting is over the last 90 days, even those companies have started to realize that there are opportunities that they will miss out on if they're not in the M&A market. Uh, one client called me uh, last week with a desire to jump in on a fairly substantial process for a tech asset that, uh, you know, I was wondering if I was going to get a call for them in the first six months of the year. So they jumped back in. Uh, the other examples that I'm seeing is th- there there were companies in the during the pandemic that did slow down on M&A activity despite the market being hot. 
And one of those clients called me with two deals uh, where they wanted to acquire different technologies. And so you saw them uh, sort of reflecting on opportunities that perhaps they had let slip by during the pandemic and they're getting back in. And so you, uh, it, three months ago, six months ago, uh, these these kinds of opportunities seem to be doing nothing but slowing down. But those are two great examples of clients who are seeing opportunity in the M&A markets again. Well, I'd love to talk more about the substance, but we're running out of time and I have to save room for my favorite questions. They're the questions I sometimes refer to as the personality test. Do you have a favorite movie? I told my wife on Saturday at the end of watching a movie, I think this might be my favorite movie. And that movie was lost in translation. Next question. The question I know you dread because I know you know I ask it on other tech studio podcasts. In a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, what is more important, the peanut butter or the jelly and why? Ed, I knew you were going to ask this question. (laughs) And my view is that you're asking this question after these wonderful podcasts to remind people that lawyers can't answer questions without getting lawyerly. So they're going to talk about why it's got to be the peanut butter and it can't be the jelly or it's got to be the jelly and can't be the peanut butter. And all of a sudden they're, you know, you're giving us them the Socratic, uh, okay. You know, law school class. Um, I, I refuse to answer the question. So you transcend the question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. All right. This will be, this will be the last one. You're having your happiest dream in your happiest sleep on your happiest night. And in that dream, you're doing your favorite thing in your favorite place. What is it? Where is it? Give us the description. Yeah, this is where I get to tell everybody that we're not just pretending that we're friends on this <laughs> podcast, Ed. We're actually okay. friends. So so here I am. Uh, it's a bright, sunny day. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm in Europe, and my legs hurt and my lungs hurt, and it's because I'm climbing – a mountain somewhere in Spain or France, um, and uh, and I'm doing it with friends, and I can't wait to get to the top. And I I go through this thought process. I don't know if you do this too, but I go through this pro- thought process of like, why do I actually like this? And you know, you're putting yourself through pain, uh, you know, for an hour or more without any uh, without any break. And for some reason, to me, that's a good time. Sounds good. Now I know that when you're on that hill. And you're thinking about why do I like this? You, you have the added advantage of looking ahead and seeing no one and looking behind and seeing everyone. But, but does that particular viewpoint play into your appreciation of this moment? I feel like you're trying to trick me again here, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the peanut butter and jelly. Okay. All I, right. I All love right. riding with my friends. Oh, especially when they come second. So, okay. Uh, all right. Well, choose your well, friends Mark, wisely. Choose your friends wisely, right. All right. Well, Marco, uh, thank you so much. The Tech Studio podcast is available, of course, on the Ropes and Gray website and also available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again.